Welcome to another episode of Tell Great Stories, the podcast that looks back at some of Unbound Theatre's past projects and productions. My name is Joe Pratt and for this episode we'll be talking all about improv. Joining me this evening are... Hello, I am Gareth. Hi, I'm Neil. Hi, I'm, I'm Brian. And I'm Dan. Hello to you all. Um, yes, thanks for joining us. So starting off, Gareth, can you tell us a little bit about um, the improv shows Unbound has done so far and how have things changed over time? Yeah, so Unbound's really been doing improv for a, for a number of years now and it's been really interesting to sort of see Unbound's improv offering sort of grow and evolve over time. So I think when we first started doing improv it was very very you know fast short games with lots of sort of you know jokey high energy content to it which was really really fun to do and you know really enjoyed by a lot of the audiences but I think we always knew we wanted to get more story-based thing in there we wanted to get you know experiment with long form as well so over the sort of years of doing improv we've not only done the sort of short games we've also um tried to introduce a few more long-form sort of full, you know, 15, 20 minutes improvised stories into the format. And I think it was probably a couple of years ago we had our first show that had that long-form element. So we had a format that was introduced us to us by Neil um, called, um, well, Dr. Sinistra's Sinister Tales, or Dr. Sinistra, I think, was uh, so- something of the, um, of the naming... <laughs> The Sinister Tales of Dr. Sinistra. The Sinister Tales of Dr. Sinistra. Um, so that was our Sinister first sort name. of... <laughs> that was our first sort of performed long-term, for, long-form format um, where it sort of evolved into this sort of 20-minute story with, you know, characters coming in, being developed, you know, spanning across multiple scenes. So it was really interesting to be able to explore that form of improv as well as a very interesting form of improv called the kurosawa which we um had at one of our long form shows as well which really tries to take a a new take on improv which is normally this very you know joke heavy obvious gags coming through and the kurosawa says no we're not going to do that at all we're going to really slow it down and really explore the emotions of what's going on in these improvised scenes and you still get some some good humors but it's that much more slow burn humor that comes out of the the characters and their emotions and the situation so we, we've really gone from just the the one form of improv to many many types and you know exploring new areas so so yeah lots of uh lots of evolution lots of changes going from strength to strength and uh when we get back into live improv, you'll see even more of those developing uh, expanded formats coming through. Yeah, it's quite interesting to try out those different things because it's not necessarily what people think of when they hear the word improv. So it's, um, I mean, I've seen some of the longer shows and they're just really surprisingly moving um, and uh, you don't necessarily expect that, but it's sort of, it was a good surprise. Mm. I enjoyed it. Um uh, and when people think, I mean, when you think about improv, a lot of people, well, if you talk about doing improv, a lot of people think that it's very scary and very nerve wracking. 
is what most people assume. So I was wondering what, asking all of you, what your first experience of improv was like and, and what you enjoy about it as a, as a form of theatre. My first experience was just messing around with friends in the pub, sort of riffing off the conversation and probably being very irritating indeed. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of what impro was. <laughs> but when I first started uh, training in impro, I found it very different because uh, people that don't do impro, their experience is television. It's whose lines anyway. It's fast and loose, which are real gag fests. But in real impro, the humour tends to come from the endearing quirks of the characters, not the one-liners. And one of the hardest, almost the most soul-destroying things I had to learn when I started doing impro was that in uh, scene-based impro, you have to discard a great gag because it will destroy the scene. If you tell a great gag in the middle of a scene, you've broken the reality of the scene and also you end up with a scene that will never die because until someone's found a better gag than the one that was told in the middle of the scene, no one feels it's finished. So you've got to, you've got to throw away the great gag and be very true to the characters in that scene. That's been That's the secret of my success, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that comes into something that we've really started to, to grow into with Unbound Improv, and I think it's a testament to sort of how far we've come, that it is a confidence thing to to know that you can get the the slightly more nuanced, the slightly more character driven driven gags. To know that yeah. if you really do play to the scene, it's gonna be brilliant. When you've got that confidence, you then have the ability to say, "Oh, do you know what? I don't I don't need a a quick gag here because I know I'm gonna nail it with the characters." And that's for me is a really special moment when you're able to sort of sit there and go. I just know this scene is going to go well. I don't need to worry myself with thinking of gags, with thinking how to be funny, because I'm playing opposite people who are just going to make this amazing anyway. So if I just play with the scene, play with the games of the scene, play with the characters and the emotions and the mechanics of um, whatever format we're currently doing, I know that it's going to come through and don't need to burden myself with how do I be funny, because it just happens naturally. Yeah. So, I mean, it, would you say then that um, the the gag fest um, comes into play in the shorter form or not really? Um, well, for me, the the gags, there are certain games that do lend themselves to gags. I mean, um, something like um, questions only is very gag heavy and um, something like good advice, bad advice, ugly advice are sort of games that are very gag heavy. But even in those shorter games, um, one of my favourite games that we play is um, one called The Incredible Shrinking Scene, um, where you sort of do a scene and it gets shorter and shorter and shorter and gets more and more bizarre elements added to it as the, you know, as the scene sort of go on and shorten. And my favourite ones are those, are the ones where people just create a really solid base scene to start with and then just lean into the, um, the speeding up and the peculiarities that get entered to it. And you always find that the more solid that base scene is, the more, again, you just kind of think, yes, I can do that. I can be, I can have fun with this getting shorter and more interesting. And you stop thinking about what gags can I use and just start thinking mm. about how can I have fun with this? I, I, I've, I've not got anything like Neil or Gareth's experience. So I still see myself as learning improvisation, but this is something I'm just beginning to understand. 
I remember about a year ago, we had somebody new come to the improvisation workshops and, and, and bless him, you could see the tension because he, he was trying to think of the perfect bon mot. And, and you know, I, I, I took him to one side and just said, just, I know exactly what you're going through because that's what I was doing when I started doing improvisation, but really seriously, do just relax, you know, you, you don't worry about it. Um, he never came back. <laughs> Dan, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, I think I, I mean, I, I totally agree with the, you know, the gag. It's very hard not to do the gag you want to do, or like I'm terrible as well for like oh, breaking oh. character and stuff and going, you know. And but when you see it done, when we went, uh, you there's like these uh, uh, festival things for improv, and when you see it done and everyone is so committed to that scene. It's just, you know, and there were so many jokes. I even thought while watching it, oh, they could put that in, put that in. But that's just ruining then what happens and what they build up and what they develop in that whole scene. And it's just so important to try and turn that bit of your brain off to not just go, oh, this is a funny joke. I'm going to put this in now. And yeah, it's so tempting. And it, you're right, you do <laughs> turn it off. It's, it's difficult. So, Neil, you, you do have a lot of experience at improvising. Um, so what would be the three things that anyone trying it for the first time, what would be your advice? Um, I think the first thing is that we build on what's there. We walk onto the stage with absolutely nothing. If you have any preconceived ideas, you're bound to ruin the scene. So you go on with nothing and you get a tiny offer from your scene partner and you add something little and two or three lines later and you've established the entire platform for the scene. Uh, you know who you are, uh, what the relationship is, where you are. And once you've got those out the way, you can start getting into the interesting bits of the scene. Uh, if you've got a scene that's set in a bakery, nobody wants to hear about the bread. You may do some object work of rolling bread, making buns and so on. But the audience doesn't want to hear uh, you name check 10 different types of bread. The bread is not what it's about. What the scene is about is the people. It is who are these two people? What's their relationship? And crucially, what's just about to change? Uh, have, have I and my scene partner, uh, have we always sort of hated each other but never expressed it? Or hated each other because we, it's a veil, uh, because we actually have a real crush on each other that we're trying to fight off? Or is somebody going to... Um, change fundamentally their their life view that's what's fascinating about the impro it's uh the relationships the second thing in impro is if something is bad make it worse make it count more uh if someone is going to if someone is riding a horse across the field and they fall off well so what if the reason that they are riding across the field is because they're just about to propose to somebody who's just about to go on a long trip, suddenly the stakes are much higher. Suddenly it matters hugely if they make uh, that journey successfully. It's not just some random person <laughs> we don't care about falling off the horse. Now we really want that to succeed. And when it doesn't, it matters and the third thing I'd say is embrace failure. Uh, when we train in impro, we set each other impossible tasks and see how we get on. And there's nothing more fun than failing with enormous commitment. 
Uh, we shouldn't fear failure. We should embrace it and have fun with it and come out stronger the other side. Well, I think that leads into something that's really interesting that I find as a watcher of improv is you have to almost earn the right to fail. Like when when you go in and you, you show real skill, you show real ability, you create great stuff. And then suddenly you're going to find a point where you just utterly fall on your ass. But if that's intermixed with all of this great stuff happening, it's almost it makes the failure more fun because it's that moment when you go, oh, no, wait, they are human. And even the best improvisers in the world will have moments where they utterly, utterly fail. But you know that, you know, they could have done it. Just in this instance, they happen to get the one bit that they can't do or they happen to blank out. And that makes it all the more funny. And I think that's something that, again, that that we've really got to that point where, as a troupe, we've earned the right to fail now. And it comes through really funny and interesting because you go, they're actually really good. And it's really amusing that they couldn't do that specific thing. Can I, can I, that re- I was thinking about this podcast and this reminds me what you're saying, Gareth, reminds me of like the circus. The last time I took my kids to the circus, there was this big act that they were going to do something terribly dangerous. And they, you know, absolute silence, please. And they tried it and they failed and they tried it and they failed. And initially you're thinking, oh, my goodness, this is going wrong. But then actually you start to realize this is part of the act. This is part of the tension. It's part of the drama of the thing. So, yeah, I, I, I get it, actually. I mean, again, it's something that I, I've had to learn over the last few years. I, I would have, It would have been dreadful if something had like, gone wrong, inverted on, in commas on stage. But actually, I think in terms of the tension and the drama of everything that's going on, the audience actually want that tension. Otherwise, it's not improvisation, is it? Mm. And like I say, it even a the... bit like a... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, even the best improvisers will have moments when they fail, when they're yeah. sort of asked to do an accent and they just can't do mm. it. Or, you know, when, mm. when they're sort of asked to do a soliloquy and they just go, I've forgotten yeah. what a soliloquy is. Um, but you sort of, that is part of it. And yeah, as, as long as it's not sort of every other line is a failure. Yeah. Those failures are what make it shown as improv and everyone will do that. And they also make your successes all the more you know all the greater because if you do mm. get a moment where you've sort of you know failed to do an accent or something and then later on in the show you're asked to do a different accent and you absolutely nail it or yeah. you don't even nail it but you just go for it and it's wrong but it was brilliant anyway you get the most uproarious applause from that moment because they they link back to sort of the previous moments as well one of yeah. my most epic failures was on the edinburgh fringe and we were doing the three-headed expert and unusually, I was in the expert. I was the middle seat there. And partway through the scene, I corpsed. And I, the more you try not to laugh, the more you laugh. And the people next to me noticed because my shoulders were jiggling. And they started <laughs> laughing and desperately trying not to laugh. And then the moment that the three of us let go and the entire audience went mm. with us, and we were just rolling around two, three minutes. We were completely useless. We couldn't do any scene work. Tears rolling down our faces. Yeah, that's a lovely moment, isn't it? Can you just uh, briefly explain what the three-headed expert is? Yes, the three-headed expert, you have three people sitting next to each other and they act as one person and they speak one word at a time. 
and you have an interviewer who will ask them a question and uh, if they are doing too well, he will ask them a really difficult question or if they're struggling, the interviewer may um, help clarify what the answer was just so that the thing uh, flows nicely from the audience's point of view. And the three-headed yeah. expert, if one of the people crosses their legs, the other people do the same. Or if somebody puts their hand up to their face, they all do it. So you've got this great visual thing of it being one person. Um, but it's a hard game. And generally, at the end, you make them uh, read a poem from their latest book or sing a song or something that is utterly impossible at the best of times and even harder when there are three of them. So plenty of room for failure there. <laughs> so that would be an example, I guess, of a of a short form game, mm. um, which and short form games are at the heart of a lot of improv shows. Speaking, well, asking all of you, do, do you have a favourite game to play? And, and can you explain quickly what it is and how it works? Dan, should we go to you first? No, I haven't thought of one. <laughs> oh, OK. Great <laughs> uh, Brian. Um, <laughs> Well, I've, uh, yeah, actually, I think, uh, do you know, I'm not 100% sure what it's called, but it's basically the one where you get the audience to write down lines in the interval and you basically pull a handful out just before you go on stage and then you do a scene and just pull out a line at random and you have to incorporate it into the sketch. What's what's it called, uh, Neil? Because the last time I did it... It's called it, Audience Lines. Audience Lines, because the last one I did was with, with Neil. And, and I just enjoy it because, first of all, the audience love it because they get that frisson. It's that like, oh, that's my line. That was my thing, you know? And of course, they're the ones who are coming up with lines that they're hoping are going to nail you. And in a way, you can't lose because if they have come up with an incredibly complicated or inappropriate line, it just, it's funny. And if you can do something with it, it's funny. So it, it can be challenging, but I've always found that very rewarding. Yes, yeah. that's one of the utterly impossible games because you've got no idea what's coming yeah but whereas when we are doing scenes we have the rule of no blocking everything you do is building the direction of the scene this will cut straight across you mm. you'll get a line that is completely random has got no uh sense of place in the scene and your job as an improviser is to deliver it with conviction this isn't something that a random person has said uh, and that you can sort of dismiss this is something that you are delivering as a proper line in the scene and you must immediately justify and mm. so you've got to be incredibly uh fleet of foot mm. and the audience absolutely love watching you struggle yeah it's it is really mm. good for flexing improvisation muscle i think the audience try and come up with the most difficult to use line that they possibly can don't they yeah to make it yeah funny yeah. And from my point of view, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that game when it particularly when it has a transformative effect on a scene. So a scene can be about something like, say, you're two janitors and you're mm. you're mopping up a spillage. And then suddenly you end up reading an audience line that sort of says, you know, always pluck a parrot whenever it's near your shoulder or something like that. You know, it could be anything at all. But the best moments in that game are when suddenly an audience line comes through. And it completely transforms what the scene is about and what your sort of characters are doing and, and how they interact with their surroundings. And then if each line does that, you get some really interesting stories. But it's a great prompt for creativity to come through. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Is that anybody else got any other I was only, games? I was only joking. Really <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have one. <laughs> you have done your homework. Well done. Um, well, no, I love like loads and loads of games, but um, Gareth mentioned it earlier. I love doing the Kurosawa. It's like, because it's serious, you can really like, uh, almost like turn the knife in the audience, you know? And like, um, you can go quite dark. And there's also, there's like awkward moments that would be created awkward in life. And you can really pull on them and grow them and stuff. I remember, I remember when um, we did one, well, it'd be a couple of years ago now. And um, my, my dad was in the audience and he watched it. And afterwards he said, um, oh, it was good, but it's a shame that I'd have thought you'd be uh, the younger brother and he'd, he'd have been the older brother. And I was like, all right. And then he said it again later. And I was like, you know, that wasn't actually... There wasn't a scene that we were given at the start. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I was like, that was completely all made up. And you could hear him kind of go, oh, oh, <laughs> bloody hell. Do you know what I mean? It was like that. And there was a great thing where, uh, so like he was my brother and there was a bit that I, I left a little drop for, and Katie picked up on as that basically uh, she might have been pregnant and it was my child. And Katie picked up on it quite quickly. And then when we did it again, brought it back a bit later, you actually heard like some of the audience members gasp because they were so committed to us being in that scene as much as we were. It was really, you know, revelation and shock. It's brilliant. The serious stuff can be really hard hitting and just really fun to do. I watched that and I, I, I agree. I think I was one of the people gasping. It was very powerful stuff. Can you just really briefly explain what Kurosawa means? I will defer to Neil for this one. <laughs> <laughs> well done. The, the, Kurosawa, the Kurosawa format is taken from the Japanese director, Kurosawa, who made a film called Rashomon, which told the same story through uh, three different viewpoints. And what we do in the impro version of Kurosawa is we will play a scene... Uh, once and one of the three characters can at any time step out and tell the audience not what they've seen or what's going to happen but a little bit about what's going on in the character's brain in terms of character development or history or um, outlook and that obviously although it's, it's spoken to the audience is fed into the uh, the other two actors and so we will run that scene for about four or five minutes and then we'll come back and we'll run it again and this time it'll be broadly the same scene but we'll hear the thoughts of the second character and the third time of the third character and the scene will evolve significantly um, by what we learn of each character's backstory um, when we see it and we will learn some you know some dark and uncomfortable truths sometimes um, Gareth, question for you. One of Unbound's improv projects is a panel game. Can you tell us a bit about it? It's called Everything Wrong With Politics. Tell us how it started and, and a bit about how it works. I mean, I, I'm honestly not entirely sure how the Everything Wrong With Politics sort of format came about because we were sort of, you know, deciding where do we want to go with improv? What are the kind of things that we want to do and we knew we definitely wanted to do some form of um panel game and sort of right let's you know throw some ideas around let's you know let's figure something out and then it just sort of 
came this idea of, you know, let's do something themed around politics, but getting the ideas for, you know, a political party from the audience and sort of, I knew that would be somewhat of the framework. And then it was really just the case of thinking of all the things that can be, you know, bad or, or manipulative or strange about politics and trying to base around, around each of those things. So the the way that it works is that you get a suggestion for a political party name from the audience, and that then becomes the name of a party led by one of the leaders. And then we go into each of the rounds based around that. So it starts with a party manifesto being given by each of the leaders. And in key with actual politics, the party manifestos are, you know, wildly exaggerated and, you know, quite out there. And you don't actually have to put forward policies that are going to make sense or are going to be easy to implement that you might be held to. So you sort of say you'd got the suggestion of you are the far, <laughs> say you'd got the suggestion of you are the fast food party. You would then be sort of saying, yeah, we, we are the fast food party and we're going to get your policies to you within five minutes of your order or it's absolutely free. And you, know, you get a free packet of fries with every policy that you sort of come up with and, and things like that and go through and, and base it. And then the other rounds are all based off um, other peculiarities with politics. So you notice that obviously one of the not actually modern, it's probably a bit dated now, but one of the things to do with politics is the obsession with spin doctors. So there's a, a spin round where the audience will suggest scandals that you've got involved with and you will then sort of buzz in to say how you can justify this scandal and how you can um you know say you know deflect the the badness of the scandal and then we've got um around like passing the buck where the idea is something's gone wrong with the country and you need to explain how it's definitely someone else's fault and nothing to do with you um so it's all sort of finding a, a vice with politics and then what rounds can we base that around Yes, it's almost based. It's almost as if it's based on on politics. <laughs> almost as if it's based on say say politics and everything that's wrong with it. Who would have known? <laughs> Weird, Brian. You have been a team captain on everything wrong with politics. Can you speak to some of your most memorable moments from the game? Um, anything that springs to mind? Well, it, it, it was a great honour to be asked to be a captain because I hadn't been improvising for that long. And um, the opportunity to improvise sitting down was, was a golden opportunity I couldn't pass up. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's been great fun. I actually, my favourite round is actually the first round, which is where you're trying to introduce your team in the style of the, 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 the party that's been chosen for you. Um, I suppose possibly thinking about it in the context of this conversation, maybe it's because the idea is just formed fresh in your mind, whereas like half an hour later, it's, it's oh yeah, we're, we're still the this and that party. So I enjoy doing the introductions and um, I have the honour of having Dan and Katie uh, in, my, in my team usually and uh, a more disreputable uh, group of characters to form a political party, I can't think of. So it, it's, 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 a, it's a blessing, you know. <laughs> Well, your fast food party always tells such whoppers. No, oh, hey. you've just got a chip in your shoulder. <laughs> hey, I thought we weren't supposed to go for the with the the funny gags. We're yeah. supposed to avoid them. I know, and I I'm... think that's what he's done. <laughs> <laughs> 
This format is very, this format is very gag heavy. It's as many puns yeah. as you can squeeze yeah. in. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Which actually is quite quite fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can get them out of your system, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we, in that particular game, much to my children's chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody else have a favourite round of of everything wrong with politics? I love the true and false news stories. We've found that the more improbable the story, the more likely it is to be true. And when people research the stories they're going to throw in, it turns out that there are the most bizarre coincidences out there um, that are well beyond the capacity of my imagination to better them. (laughs) Yeah, stranger than fiction, as they say. Um, Stan... In recent years, um, Unbounds have performed long-perform improv, as we've talked about, as well as shorter games. Um, and uh, as an actor, how does the experience differ between the, between the two? Do you have a preference between them? And what's the most challenging thing about long-form and, and what's the most rewarding? So quite a few questions there. Well, you don't have to learn any lines for improv. <laughs> That's always a real boost. A bonus. Yeah, always like that one. Um, I think it's kind of funny when you're so when, well when when I uh, before I'm going on stage uh, to do something that's scripted, I'm trying to remember that first line. Always think of what that first line is, and then I'm fine as I go away. I'm always trying to remember that first line. Get that in your head. First line. First line. First line. First line. But when you do improv, it is the exact opposite. I'm trying to think of absolutely nothing. They may have thrown offers out, and we're about to come on. But I don't want that stuff in my head yet because I find if you already go on with a bit of a premise of who we are or what we're doing or something. I've got an idea of, you know, oh, it's maybe we're two plumbers. I think, oh, okay, we could be on a job and we're doing this or something. Da, 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 da. You go on with this premise. But the problem is the person who's coming on with you, they haven't thought of that. So if you're going on thinking what you're doing and they throw something completely off, it throws you. So you need to keep your mind as completely blank as possible when doing improv as opposed to the complete opposite when you're doing uh, scripted uh, work. So I always find that really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And it's quite difficult as well actually to to abandon things and, and clear your mind it's not easy I found that as well early on during improv as well yeah when oh I want it to go this way and when it doesn't kind of go that way sometimes you try and shoehorn it in and it yeah. just would not work and it's like let it go <laughs> it's going yeah. a different way go with that and you know pick up on and you know and and that's the thing about I suppose about like you say well you say about challenging with long form um but the main thing about it all, isn't it? It's the offers. You're trying to throw out as many offers as possible and hoping that someone's picking them up and vice versa, that you're hoping to pick them up from someone else as well. Because that can be kind of frustrating as well when you're th- you feel like you're throwing them out so obvious. It's like, come on, we're going to go this way. And the other person's like, nope, don't know what he's doing, but it's not going <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, um, and then also, again, I like, again, with the long form, you need to set up very quickly. You know, you have the where are you? Who are you? What's the relationship? What are your names? How do we care about these characters? What are the, you know, what are they doing? And it's interesting how you get uh, you manage to get those points across very naturally and very quickly. You can do it as well. Yeah, it's a lot, lot to think about, really, isn't it? I mean, going back to that, that first few seconds in whether it be short form or long form, that first few seconds in a scene where both actors now finally say, right, we're starting. It is always a balance between sort of thinking, well, if no one suggests anything, then Mm. nothing's going to happen. But if you come in absolutely glued to this has got to happen, you're not going to be responding to what the other person is bringing forward. And, yeah, 
particularly um when I do work with with you guys on this call, but in, anyone in Unbound really, I, I love it when you get that moment of thinking, I know that whatever I suggest is going to be taken up upon, but I also know if I just wait for them to come up with something, they will end up throwing mm. something out. And it, it's a real balance to be able to kind of say, I'm going to bring ideas, but I'm not going to be wedded to them. And I know whenever I start a, a, scene, a scene with you, Dan, I always know that we're immediately going to settle into something and we're going to build off each other. And I always feel like we hit the ground with a character and whatever we push forward to happen gets picked up by the other person and, and built upon. And I think it really shows that, yeah, you have developed that ability to come into it blank, but also fizzing with ideas. Rather than it being one idea that you're sort of stuck with, you're sort of fizzing with many. So when it comes to either needing something or to pick up on something from someone else, it really shines through in those first few moments of a scene. There is that brilliant point as well. You know when it works and you're mm. there together and you both know you're on the same wavelength <laughs> and you're both going in the same direction, but with so many different possibilities, it's an awesome feeling. Yeah. Yeah. When you're in the zone, <laughs> it's about as much about what it sounds like what you're saying. It's as much about what you don't do as what you do do and knowing when to do and when to kind of give and let somebody else do yeah. and when to run with it and when to just let it lie. Yeah, yeah that mm. thing of being on the same wavelength is absolutely it. I mean, mm. the, we had, I think, uh, if, if I could, I think Daniel, Dan, Katie and I, we had a moment like that. I was really, really proud of it. The last Everything Wrong With Politics, we were playing the evil baddie party or something like that. And somebody kind of came out with a sort of an Austin Powers evil laugh. And we all, within a microsecond, you couldn't tell who started it. We all started <laughs> yeah. at the same time and we all finished it. it was it you? It was me. Uh, yeah, of course it, it was. was. Of course. <laughs> and, but it's a team effort. But yes, Dan gets the credit. And, but we all started and we all finished at the same time. And I don't know how that yeah. worked, but it, it really was. I came away thinking that was brilliant because normally, we, again, when you start improvisation, like Dan says, you want to be the one who has the funny line. But to have a really good moment of teamwork where you're just sort of sensing what the other person's doing, that was a really special moment for me. Uh, Gareth, can you tell us a bit about what's next for um, Improv with Unbound Theatre? Yeah, so we've got a lot of plans to develop the, yeah, particularly the long form and the, and the storytelling elements of what um, Unbound is going to be doing. So we do have um, with Unbound a, a storytelling initiative and there will be some improvised storytelling coming in in relation to that you know specific to that project um but we're also really going to look to develop our our long form narrative formats you know similar to the um dr sinistra uh format that we've been doing we're looking to really develop that so we can then have say a long form fairy tale format as well as the sinistra horror format and then maybe a sort of period drama style format and uh, with the idea being that we've got lots of different genres of um, long form that we can then do. So the idea that we yeah, can then switch between them and have many different types coming through and look to lengthen them as well. So we've had a 20 minute four scene long form coming through. We sort of looking to develop that so you can go up to sort of half an hour, six scene and really sort of bring that forward. But at the same time, making sure that we do keep the the short form and the more you know fun fast paced you know stuff happening as well so yeah i mean a lot lot happening a lot developing and, and watch this space with regards to that really sounds good um so i mean that kind of more or less brings us to the end of this episode um thank you all very much for joining 
um, and for your thoughts and your memories. And thank you to everybody who's listening. If you'd like to listen to any more episodes of Tell Great Stories and lots of other great audio and video con content, there's um, plenty on unboundtheatre.co.uk if you head over there or look up Unbound Theatre on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or SoundCloud and join us again soon. Thank you. Thank you.